on a Saturday four weeks ago. I had just started our grill when I saw a long line of cars backed up on the street behind our house. I then heard some shouting and saw some people running, and so I became curious. Okay, I was being a nosy neighbor. Now, I should mention that I was wearing a white T-shirt, sweatpants, and my old lawn mowing shoes. Well, when I hurried down the street, I saw two women on their hands and their knees headed into some bushes on the side of one of our neighbor's houses. I ran over and I asked how I could help. They were a bit hesitant to trust me, probably because of how I was dressed. I discovered they were searching for some baby ducklings. So apparently, Mom the Mallard and her ten ducklings were crossing the road when a car hit the mother. Two of the ducklings lost their lives, the others scattered, leaving the mother hopping around and looking dazed. Now, seeing an opportunity to be a good neighbor, I offered to hold an Aldi refrigerator bag while these women scooped up all these distressed ducklings and put them inside. These women were locked into their task. When they would find a duckling, they'd put it in the bag, and then they'd lean forward, they'd motion, they would motion for everyone to be quiet, they'd kind of cup their ear, and they'd listen for more chirping. One woman heard a duckling in distress. I was standing next to her. I didn't hear the duckling. She took off running into another neighbor's backyard where she found a dog had cornered a duckling. She rescued that duckling, and then that neighbor's son came around the corner with another duckling. And just when I thought we had found all of them, one woman stopped traffic again ran across the busy street because she thought she heard more chirping. We all followed. I was skeptical. But sure enough, after about five minutes, she emerges from the woods with two more. Well, now I had eight chirping ducklings in my bag. Now, at that point, one of them decided to call the police for help while the three of them tried to catch and rescue the dazed mommy duck. And so they caught the mommy duck by throwing a big blanket over her. And then they handed her and the eight ducklings to Officer Friendly, pleading with him to find an animal shelter for them. I could tell he wasn't quite sure what to do in that setting. But they were insistent. They said, no, you must take them. They were very persuasive. I'll never forget how determined these women were to save this mama and her eight ducklings. With tears in their eyes, they expressed sorrow for the ones who lost their lives while rescuing Darla, Dean, Della, Daphne, Daniel, Dottie, Doug, and Donald Duck. Okay, I gave them names because I may or not have become attached to them. Well, when I was on duckling duty that day, It struck me how we should be running to save human lives. Because every boy, every girl, every man, every woman matters to God. Now this is extremely important because today we live in a culture of death. And the news of murders and shootings fill our headlines daily. 
Sadly, as of early May, there have been 194 mass shootings in our country this year, which averages out to 10 a week. In the first three months of the year, murders are up 18% relative to the same period last year. We think, yeah, it's terrible out there. Well, let me read you some headlines from our own community. Uh, Three papers from last week, Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Front page of Sunday's paper, One Dies in Rock Island Shooting. Headline under that, Illinois Quad Cities has had two homicides in a 24-hour period. On Tuesday's paper, man charged with killing teen, and you open it up, and murder charge filed in shooting death of Silvis man. And then in Wednesday's paper, the city of Davenport is forming a new violent crime community task force. Officers responded to 279 reports of gunfire in 2020. Were you aware of that? 279 reports of gunfire last year. Have you noticed murder has become a central source of entertainment in our society? Philip Ryken says this, by the time the average child finishes elementary school, he or she has watched 8 1,000 televised murders and 100,000 acts of on-screen violence. Video games are so lifelike that those playing them get the sensation that they are actually killing someone. On Tuesday night this week in Florida, a 12-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl opened fire on sheriff's deputies. The girl is reported to have said, quote, I'm going to roll this down like GTA, referring to a video game called Grand Theft Auto. The boy, at 4 feet 11 inches tall, weighing 78 pounds, told detectives he wanted to harm cops. And are you aware A computer game developer has made a Columbine game containing actual footage inside the school, including the crime scene. And those who play the game can make decisions about who to murder and who will live. So we come to the sixth commandment. And as we come, we lament the loss of life around us while at the same time, many of us breathe a sigh of relief because we don't think this prohibition applies to us. I mean, here it is, Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. Very few of us are murderers, right? Uh, we'll see about that. So here's the sermon in a sentence. Since God has purposes for every person, all life must be prized and protected. As we go through this series on the Ten Commandments, we're providing bookmarks. I hope you have a bookmark. If you don't, there's some in front of you. Grab one or two. Use those to get the commandments into your head, into your hearts, and into your homes. And we're encouraging everyone to take one and work at memorizing these short phrases. I'm not going to have you stand now, but let's quote these commands together. One God... 
no idols. Revere his name. Remember to rest. Honor parents. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lying, and no coveting. In a new survey, adults ranked this commandment, you shall not murder, as the top commandment. Keeping the Sabbath holy was considered the least important. Let me just pause to make an observation. The four commandments here at the bottom, perhaps it's hard to see where you are, but those are the four that deal with our relationship with God. So basically, people are saying, yeah, the ones that deal with each other, those are more important than our relationship with God. Well, let me make some observations. This is the shortest verse in the Old Testament. The text is terse. With only four words in English, just two words in Hebrew, literally is translated as not murdering. Number two, this command is directed to every individual. Sure, we're listening to this sermon as a group, connecting online as a group, but it's in the second person singular, meaning it's for you individually and it's for me individually. Number three, it's stated in the strong negative, just like seven of the other commands. It's an unconditional prohibition. And number four, it deals with murder not killing. Now, there's confusion about this because the King James Version translates it this way, thou shalt not kill. But the word here refers to unlawful slaying or murder. Philip Ryken defines it like this, the unjust taking of a legally innocent life. Well, here's where we're headed. The principle behind the commandment is where we're going to begin. Then we're going to look at the prohibitions that come from the commandment And then finally, the implications of the commandment. So why, why did this commandment make God's top 10 list? For the answer, let's go to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own, what? Image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female He created them. Humans are unique. They alone are made in the image of God. Perhaps you've heard the Latin phrase, imago Dei, it means image of God. This means that every human being has inherent value independent of their utility or function from conception all the way through natural death. Human life is sacred to our sovereign God because he's the giver and sustainer of life. Human beings belong to God and we are accountable to him if we take someone's life. Now, the creation of the first man stands out from everything else God created. So when he created all other things, it was sufficient for God to simply say, let there be and there was. Let there be light, and there was light. But for his final creative act, would you observe, God does not say, let there be a man. Instead, we see how personally involved he is. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
and the man became a living creature. When God created Eve, he didn't form her from the dust as if she was a separate act of creation. Instead, according to Genesis 2, verses 21 and following, we read this, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Really, he's saying, whoa, man, where has she been? Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That verse makes me a little emotional. Our Youngest daughter is getting married in one week, and when she got engaged, her fiancé read that passage to her. Eve shared the same dignity given to Adam, for she was made from man. This means that all their descendants are also made in the image of God. This command against murdering is not found first in the Ten Commandments. No, you can find it In the book of Genesis, chapter 9, verse 6, after the flood, God says this to Noah, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his, what? His own image. Settle this. Every person you meet, whether you like them or not, whether they vote the same as you or not, whether they think about COVID the same as you do or not, is an image bearer of God. Everyone you lay eyes on is an image bearer of God. It doesn't matter what the person does or doesn't do. He or she has been designed with dignity. J.D. Greer says this, when you think of men and women as anything less than the image of God, you devalue life. I wrote down at least seven reasons why murder is such a serious issue. Number one, the act of murder is an assault on God himself. So to murder another human being is to murder what is most like God in creation. When you attack a human being, you are attacking the one in whose image they are made. Number two, murder assumes the authority and the right reserved for God alone. Since only God has the right to give life and take away life, the person who murders is taking the privilege that is God's alone. We read that in the book of Job 10, chapter 12, verse 10. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Number three, every person is intrinsically and immeasurably valuable. Listen, as darling as ducklings are, only human beings have souls. Or more accurately, humans are souls who live forever. The Bible says we live either in heaven forever or in hell forever. 
Number four, because we have a common parentage, we are our brother's keeper. And so, in a real sense, there's just one race, the human race. When a human being murders another human being, he is doing what Cain did, slaying the image of God in the one who is his brother. Number five, murder defiles the land. When Cain killed Abel, his brother's blood cried out from the ground. Numbers 35, 33 says bloodshed pollutes the land. Number six, murder is identified with Satan himself. 1 John 3, 12 says we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Jesus said these words about Satan, John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And number seven, because murder cannot be undone. So if you steal from someone, you can make restitution. But if you take a human life, it's impossible to give that life back again. Since God has purposes for every person, all of life must be prized and protected. Simply put, the sixth commandment prohibits the taking of innocent human life. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to address what the Bible teaches about capital punishment, about just warfare, about accidental homicide, or self-defense, though all of those are taught in the Bible. That would make for a great sermon series at some point. But I want to look at the prohibitions that come from this commandment. Let's start with the most obvious, murder. Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3. The very next chapter, we see how anger caused Cain, the firstborn of Adam, to take the life of his brother. And God gave a warning to him. But instead of being his brother's keeper, he became his brother's killer. Would you listen and observe It's how his anger ultimately turned him into an assassin. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. That's quite a word picture. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain ignored what God said. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So later, one of Cain's descendants, Lamech, was marked as a murderer and even bragged how he was a better killer than Cain was. Same chapter, verse 23. Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. Here's his brag, his boast. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And from that point on, murder and mayhem have been unleashed in our sin-soaked world. Another way we see this lived out is genocide. 
Recently, Beth and I watched a documentary on the Holocaust. It's called The Last Days. It was hard to watch. See, even though Hitler knew at the end that he was losing the war, in the final six weeks, he sent over 400,000 Jews from Hungary to Auschwitz. And the four crematoriums worked 24 hours a day, but they couldn't keep up. So what'd they do? They dug big pits and they burned the bodies in there. The end of the film, one survivor made this very profound statement. It was so profound that I didn't quite catch it. Watch the whole thing again, just to catch this quote. This is what he said. The Holocaust is perhaps the culmination of the kind of horror that can occur when man loses his integrity, his belief in the sanctity of life. Number three, abortion. Now, it's unthinkable that six million Jews were exterminated during the Holocaust, but there's another horrible Holocaust taking place right now. Since 1973, approximately 62 million image bearers have been extinguished through abortion, which is more than 10 times the number of Jews murdered by the Nazis. Now, many would say that's a political issue. Don't talk about that in church. Well, the truth of the matter is abortion is the premeditated murder of human life. And it's a violation of the Sixth Commandment. And abortion is the central moral issue of our day because the baby in the womb is human life. J.D. Greer says, when someone says, ah, the fetus is not really human life yet, you could respond by saying, well, what kind of life is it if it's not human life? You see, individuals will have their opinions. Organizations will offer their expertise. Politicians will differ about the preborn. But let's listen to what God says. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Let's make a few observations. The word before is used twice. That moves us back in time from the point of conception to sometime in eternity past. Would you observe the word I is used four times? Not only to indicate that God is the one speaking these words, but it's God who is at work in the womb. And thirdly, the word you is used five times. See, what is in the womb is a person. It's not a blob. It's not a bunch of cells. Well, this leads us right into the first truth this passage teaches. The preborn are people. And we see that first phrase, I formed you in the womb. Even before Jeremiah was conceived, God knew him as a person. The word formed is the Hebrew word used to describe the creative work of a potter as he molds and shapes a piece of clay. Secondly, the preborn or pre known. God says, I knew you. That word know 
That's a Hebrew word that speaks of personal, intimate knowledge. It was used of Adam knowing Eve. Number three, the preborn are prized. God said, I set you apart. You're someone special to me. I have specific plans for you. And that leads to number four, the preborn have a purpose. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah had a job to do, and so do you. Erwin Lutzer has some pointed words we need to ponder. He says this, Abortion continues only because babies are not strong enough to fight back. Their cries are muffled in the sanitary surroundings of hospitals and abortion clinics. Someone has to fight their battles for them because they're helpless in their struggles. If the Christian church cannot unite in its opposition to abortion, it is highly unlikely that it can unite about anything else. Friends, since God has purposes for every person, all life must be prized and protected. Now, let me be quick to say I was even racing to get to this point because some of you have gone through abortion or maybe you've paid for an abortion or maybe you've driven someone to an abortion. I want you to hear this. There is forgiveness and healing available through Jesus Christ. And this church is a place of grace and we can connect you to a group that can help you find help and healing. There's a group that meets at Pregnancy Resources. Number four, suicide. Kevin DeYoung writes this, there's almost no topic more painful than suicide for those who have experienced it with family or friends, and some of you have. Are you aware that on average there are 130 suicides per day? In 2019, there were nearly 48,000 recorded suicides, up from 42,000 in 2014. The annual suicide rate increased 24% between 1999 and 2014. That's the highest rate recorded in 28 years. On top of that, just learned this on Friday, there were 1.3 million suicide attempts in 2019. Now, some of you may have contemplated suicide in the past, or maybe you're hurting so much right now that you want to hurt yourself. Please hear me, whether you're engaged online or right here. You matter to God. Do not take the only life that God has given to you. There is help. We can connect you with people who can help you. See, no matter how bleak things look, hold on. Reach out. Number five, euthanasia. Often misnamed as mercy killing, many countries have, well, they've legalized physician-assisted suicide. And laws continue to be passed in our own country. Now, I know this discussion is not easy, but I found this distinction to be helpful. We're not talking about the termination of treatment. Here we're talking about the termination of life. So when a person is suffering, we should do all we can to minister comfort, to help manage pain, but we should not end the person's life. 
One biblical example, King Saul was wounded. He was suffering. He asked his armor bearer to take his life. The armor bearer would not do it, and we read he would not do it out of fear of God. Number six, and it's about to get a little uncomfortable for all of us, hatred in the heart. Maybe you've been feeling a bit smug because this commandment has not messed with you yet. Uh, Check out what Jesus said, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Here's Jesus quoting the sixth commandment. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, we might not murder with our hands, but all of us have had murder in our hearts. You see, Jesus deepens and transforms the sixth commandment by saying to each of us, you're all murderers. You just don't know it. Now, we should hate murder out there, but we shouldn't fail to relate to the murderer in here. See, this commandment deals with the physical act of murder and the attitude of murder which resides in our hearts. Regarding Cain killing Abel, Jen Wilkin points out, if we look carefully, we find that his path to becoming a murderer did not start with plotting murder. It began with a far more ubiquitous sin. It began with being angry. Cain's problem was not mere anger, but anger nursed, anger indulged, anger gratified. David Powelson has written a book called Good and Angry. He has an unforgettable chapter in the book. Here's the title of the chapter. Do you have a serious problem with anger? Well, the reason that's unforgettable is because this chapter, again, here's the title, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? This chapter just contains one word. Here it is. Yes. You know, to allow anger to seethe and then to attack verbally and destroy someone's reputation is tantamount to murder, and it's a violation of the Sixth Commandment. No human may take the life of another human, physically or psychologically. 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a what? Yikes. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. After reading this verse, I was tempted to change the sermon title to this, The Murderer in Me, or Murder We Wrote. I have to explain that it's not worth it so while most of us will never murder someone in the technical sense of the word we can still break this command in a variety of ways and because we live in a culture of death you and I must cultivate a view of the sanctity of life we're prohibited from taking life yes and we must also protect and preserve life So far more than refraining from violence, we must learn to value life the way God does by taking some positive action. Since God has purposes for every person, all life must be prized and protected. I'm challenged by these words from Philip Ryken. Sometimes all it takes to break the sixth commandment 
is to do nothing at all. I'm reminded of this famous quote from Edmund Burke, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Here are five ways you and I can live out the heart of this command. Number one, start by loving your neighbor. I mean, start with your literal neighbor, your neighborhood. Pastor Ed's leading an elective right now during this hour on this topic. See, we can violate this command when we fail to do good or to prevent someone from suffering bodily harm or injury. Kent Hughes writes, the sixth commandment is a call to be a great lover of all humanity from conception to the grave. Is there anyone you're refusing to love right now? Anybody you're out of sorts with? Anybody you're ignoring? Anybody you're giving the silent treatment to? Anybody you turn and walk the other way when you see them? Anyone that you're just seething with anger about? Number two, confess racism or prejudice as sin, for that's what it is. On Memorial Day on Monday, residents of the Molette neighborhood in Moline, that's kind of the area by Youth Hope in Moline there, they woke up to flyers outside their home. Here's the title of the flyer right here in our community. Racial distancing. You know, some of us slam others and slice them up simply because they have different color skin or they come from a different background. Remember, everyone you meet is an image bearer of God. Number three, speak up and stand up for life. We're called to be advocates for those who, well, who can't answer for themselves. We often hear today about abortion rights. What about the rights of the one in the womb? Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. I'm so glad we support pregnancy resources. Many of us are collecting change, filling up baby bottles. Those are due back on Father's Day weekend. One of the ways pregnancy resources stands up for life in the community is tomorrow in Davenport, Moline, and in Muscatine through the mobile um, van, medical van. They're giving out free diapers and free clothing to anybody in the community. Number four, share the gospel of life with people who are dead in their sins. You know, every person is created in the image of God and is, has so much worth to him that Jesus Christ was willing to lay down his life so they can have eternal life. You know, people are either on the way to hell or on the way to heaven. And when someone dies, the core of that person never dies. So not sharing the gospel is a type of murder. You say, oh, that's strong. It is. But listen to Ezekiel 33. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. Listen to this. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So here's a question. Do we really believe the gospel? 
If we do, how do we justify how little we live it out and how seldom we take Christ to our neighbors and to the nations? Listen, if we know a person is on the road to eternal destruction and we don't tell them the good news of the gospel, are we not an accessory to his or her spiritual death? Number five, receive eternal life. Now, my guess is you've gone 0 for 6 on the commandments so far. Uh, Me too. Jesus was murdered to pay the price for murderers like me and murderers like you. Because Jesus was 10 for 10, his perfect score can be applied to our accounts. See, the only thing that equals the value of life is life. And Jesus gave his life for ours. In essence, he took our death penalty so that we might live. So the same Lord who condemns murder has the compassion to forgive his own murderers when he said these words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Ponder this deep thought. When Cain killed his brother, the blood of Abel, we read, Genesis 4, cried out from the ground. New Testament, book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word, listen for it, a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood cries out, not for our death, but for our deliverance. So when I think about the ducklings who scattered in our neighborhood, I'm reminded of what Jesus said. He looks out into Jerusalem or over Jerusalem, and he says these words, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills, the city that murders the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Listen to his compassion here. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood, her little ones, under her wings. And here's a sad phrase. And you were not willing. Are you willing to be gathered by Jesus? Are you ready to receive the salvation and the security he bought for you by the payment of his very life and the payment of his blood? If you've not yet repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, do it today. And we're going to end this morning with communion and what a great way for us to remember all that Jesus did to save us from our sins. Communion is a time we celebrate the new covenant initiated by Jesus, our mediator, when he died on the cross and spilled his blood for us. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said these words, This is my body, which is for 
you. My body in your place. My life for your life. My death in order to bring you eternal life. Do this in remembrance of me. He knows we forget. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now before we receive communion, it's important to take time to reflect. Perhaps the Holy Spirit during the time of the preaching of God's word has been putting his finger on some sin in your life. Maybe you've been distant from him. It's time to come back. Maybe you've been distant from others. Maybe you've been treating an image bearer unacceptably. Don't leave here just feeling bad about that. No, confess it as sin and claim the forgiveness that Jesus wants to give you. So consider your relationship with God. Look around and consider your relationship with others. As God brings sin to mind, confess it. Agree with him that it's sin. And then commit yourself afresh to sharing the gospel of life to those who are dying. Take some time now. God, we thank you that the commandments are not given to be a ladder for us to work our way to you. No, in a very real sense, they're like a mirror or reflecting how far short we fall, how we cannot keep your commands in our own strength. But Lord, all of that is a gift from you because we are a proud people. So we thank you for how you humble us, how you break us, so that we see that we need a substitute. We need the Savior who not only saves us from our sins, who not only forgives us, but cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, now in these moments, may you do your work in us. Help us to be a people who remember so we don't forget. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.